Rocking chair, chair session. With Elisa Di Batista. Maria Teresa Barber. Hello, everyone. Hi, and welcome to RCS Rocking Chair Sessions for Volume 23. 23 and uh, post Irma. Yes. Post Irma. And we are so happy to have Gerby Cisaskaya. I yes. butchered that. <laughs> no, Cisaskaya. Yes. Cisaskaya. Here with us today, who From is actually Spain. in Studio 23 at for, the Bakehouse. Yes, and for Session 23. So, what a serendipitous event. Serendipitous event, yeah. Yes. And um, just for our listeners, being here, um, a bakehouse, an art artist resident, um, Gerby was the first to leave and the first to come back from from the storm. The so last to leave. The last to leave and the first to come back, like the ibis. <laughs> she knows the most. She knows. She knows the most, and um, she witnessed everything. I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess I surely did. You I did, did, right? I did. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit how you, was it your first hurricane or did you experience already? In the bakehouse, in the it bakehouse. was definitely my first the hurricane. The first hurricane in the bakehouse. Otherwise in Florida, uh, far from it. You you had Yes, more, I've, yeah. been, I've been um, in Florida since uh, 90. So I've oh, been through wow. Andrew, through Vilma and the rest in between. Wow. Yes. So you have a lot of experience with hurricanes. Uh, I guess a I good, do. A good amount, I wish it could amount. have been less, but yeah. that's all I have. Yeah. So h how was Irma for you compared to the others, compared to Andrew and Wilma? Irma was uh, very mild, I think, compared to the incredible barrage of information and scare and preparedness uh, everyone had to go through. Mm -hmm. uh, and structures did not suffer even remotely the damage which they suffered during Vilma or Andrew. Mm -hmm. But the plant world um, causes me incredible pain to see the better trees, broken trees fallen down trees and um, with this incredible dry air and not a drop of rain which is happening right after the hurricane mm -hmm. you I just physically feel the suffering of the plants mm -hmm. yeah it feels like they, they're like crying and it feels so sad exactly <laughs> because no one was expecting as much damage to the trees after the storm was like moving westwards and away mm -hmm. from Miami and to see how many trees fell. I mean, for, for people who are not in Miami right now, the streets are pretty much cleared, but on the side of the streets, you have these huge piles. Yeah. Well, we were on the dirty side, so I kind of, I had the feeling. We didn't get hit by the eye, but we were on the whiplash side where yeah. you got the wind. So I was like, mm -hmm. oh, the wind and the branches and... And we yeah. have a tree, a huge, old, beautiful tree that has fallen in the parking lot of the bakehouse, right? And but very neatly. Very neatly, Did not, not majestically. <laughs> it was just like, and here I fall. I know, it's yes, last little gem. Just laid down to rest. <laughs> That's it, I'm done, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Yes, and it's not hurt anyone, not no, a soul. Not, not at all. And I, I, I mean, a lot of people were very worried about the bakehouse too. I know we were all here packing up our studio you know uh, we get we get rain leaks on a good day right on a, on a regular day so to prepare for a hurricane barely any leaks. barely anything happened a yeah. few drops here and there it was it's a fortress wow. it's a beautiful beautiful building mm -hmm. uh, built to last mm -hmm. yeah I I have an incredible fondness for this place mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it proved to be um, it proved to be safe haven mm -hmm. from any natural force. So you were not worried about your artwork in the studio? No. No. I didn't oh. put a thing away. That's oh, awesome. Wow. I mean, you're wow. so brave. I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. Just didn't. Well, talking about your love for the bakehouse, I'd love to know because I remember I was a student in undergrad, not to reveal my age or anything, and I remember just walking into the space. It was very strange back then. It, there were no windows on the doors. 
It was a very dark place almost. The outsider, outside studios kind of looked like a chicken coop. It was not really cleaned up that well. It was like big house and it's like, I would call it the medium stage. <laughs> and then I remember walking past the studio and seeing these like just beautiful organic shaped vases and then I'm like wow I wonder who's and it said your name and it was it was your studio and you're still here and so I'm curious when did your journey here at the Bakehouse commence and um, when did ceramics commence so let's start with the Bakehouse and then just like the yes your your vessels and your forms I came to the Bakehouse um, beginning of 2006 I believe right after the graduate school which ended in 2005 mm -hmm. and um, um, there was one single studio tiny and the darkest spot in the big house which was available so I was thought, it upstairs or no it was downstairs upstairs was actually pretty full at that time oh, really? because it was uh, one of two areas which were air-conditioned mm -hmm. so it was popular mm -hmm. so the uh, the big house was basically completely full mm -hmm. uh, and it was only one vacancy it was a studio which is now occupied by Eliza I believe. Oh, yes. So it underneath the staircase. Oh. Exactly underneath the staircase leading to upstairs. And it is the darkest, darkest spot. <laughs> and I I grudgingly took it because because I just needed a place to work. But then um, when I I spent a year in that studio and I was um, having tours at the bakehouse, I would just throw something on the wheel and it needed a little time to dry so I can proceed and keep going. And then I would pass by studios and I would just uh, dream which studio I would like to have. <laughs> and there was only one studio and I was very critical. I was very, very critical. I see that in your work, so, you're very it's, it's precise <laughs> and exact. Yeah. yeah. So there was only one studio, actually, which I really wanted to take. And it was a Studio 23, which was at the time occupied by, by a very good friend of mine, Beatricia Sager. She came here from um, the Art Center. Mm -hmm. And I said, if there will be room in the bakehouse and I need to move, this is the studio I would like to move to. And, and you did? It was just a year I spent in my dark spot. Oh, wow. And then this studio became available. It was more expensive, of course, than mine. But I said, it's just fate. I have. I you will there. into the And universe. I did not move ever since. <laughs> I spent 11 years wow, in that studio. And I adore it. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful spot. It has. It has some light, but not too much light. It's really quiet. I adore the, the slanted ceiling. I love sky windows with a very soft light. And I need the light. I probably would not have survived in a studio which doesn't have a daylight for too mm -hmm. long. Uh, because porcelain loves light. Yeah. And it really um, limits me if I don't see daylight. Yeah. Yeah. So it had to be. It had to be lit by the sun, so I got it. We did a little bit of research, of course, before the interview, and we've also talked. I've been here also two and a half years. We've talked in hallways, mm -hmm. and I, I remember that you were actually born in the Ukraine. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. I in was born in Ukraine. My whole family was born in Ukraine. They actually came uh, from the... Um, Northern Galicia in Poland. This is where the whole family is coming from. Mm -hmm. And they settled in Ukraine in this city which is called Zhytomyr. So my father, my mom, my, my, um, all my sisters, everyone was born in the same city. But I spent there only seven years. And um, then the whole family moved? Yes, my family had to move because my my father was an officer mm -hmm. in the army mm -hmm. in former Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. So he was sent to very, very remote places usually. 
uh, like Chukotka Peninsula and Kuril Islands. Mm -hmm. And when we were seven years old with my sister, he was sent to um, so-called Zabaikalia, the area on the Chinese border mm -hmm. uh, behind the very beautiful Baikal Lake. And this is where Baikal I spent, Lake. yeah, in mm -hmm. Siberia. And this is where I spent wonderful, wonderful time, five years we were there. It's it like Siberia is probably the farthest away from Miami, you know, in, in, in like, the, you know, just like if you think about nature, we were talking about nature and the trees and everything. If, you know, just the word of Siberia is usually like, you know, you're getting a chill from just hearing that. The pictures you know? now, yeah. And, and how, how was that for you? I mean, the Ukraine is also not the hottest place on earth, it's you know? It's pretty cold too, isn't it's it? It's pretty no. cold there. No, it's no, not it's, too cold, right? But Siberia? Like Vermont, probably. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah, for yes. Florida and like Miami. Austria, probably. <laughs> like Austria, probably. Like Austria. Like exactly. Austria, yeah. Maybe a little bit colder. Does it snow? Yeah. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> It does, but the actually, girl from Panama doesn't snow. <laughs> actually, in the area where we were living for five years, it snowed uh, very rarely. Oh wow! Because it's a very, very specific climate. It's uh, it's called continental climate, mm -hmm. and the temperature in the winter would go up to fifty-three centigrade. Okay. Uh, minus fifty. Yeah centigrade and the same would go for the summers so the summers are excruciatingly hot mm -hmm. and the winters are very cold mm -hmm. and there is not much snow mm -hmm. it's very hilly and um, and uh, there is very little um, uh, plant life there mm -hmm. we never had uh, fruits or vegetables oh, wow. there because uh. it's just was not available mm -hmm. So and that and that was in the Ukraine, right? No, no, no. Oh, that no, was no, not Siberia already. Siberia already. Yeah. Yes, wow. I left Ukraine when we were seven years old with mm -hmm. my twin sister, my mom, and my dad. Mm -hmm. Yes, the older sister. We have older sister, mm -hmm. who was sent to Moldavia, mm -hmm. to one of the grandmothers because um, she uh, was already um, a teenager and she needed to be in a good school and my parents were not sure that the schools in such remote tiny villages on the Chinese border would have proper schools for her. Or offer what she needed, yeah. Yes, so they just did not take her with us. So they, they sent yes. her to Moldavia? They sent her to Moldavia for the five years we spent mm -hmm. in. We barely spent time with my older sister in our childhood. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. And how was that to live so close to the Chinese border? It was very funny because it was the time when um, when uh, the um, um, relationship between Soviet Union and uh, China was extremely strained and um, and uh, China was under very, very strict communist rule of Mao Zedong. So, um, there were many alarms on the border, uh, but usually it was cows going back and forth. They do not know borders. <laughs> Chinese cows would come here and our cows would wander in the Chinese territory. So there were just... Um, Rebels. Uh, yes. <laughs> Those cows, nothing, they were mad cows, literally. Nothing. I was like, just cows? Cows, yes. No accidents, I, as far as I remember. But you were not allowed to on the other side. No, no, we wouldn't. We wouldn't you go. Were, you, but I've seen many Chinese people at the time in the city of Zabaikalsk. Um, um, they were um, dressed the same way, men and women, in very gray um, uniform-like uh, clothing, and they all had. According to my memory, they all had the little pockets on the left side of their chest with the portrait of Mao on it. So it was very funny to see for me as a child. The costumes. Yes, uh -huh. they, it's not a costume. This is what they wore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were dressed the same way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
all of them. Maybe they were clerics. I don't even remember who those people were, but it just really emphasized the sameness, the unity of them mm -hmm. around some kind of a weird idea. Mm -hmm. They all were dressed the same mm -hmm. way. That's incredible. And do you feel, um, being how you were originally, like you, I think up to seven, you have some recollection or formation um, culturally and visually of like what it is to be in a certain place or country. So like you were in the Ukraine and then you're moved to Siberia. My question is, um, how did that affect you from age seven to like more or less 12-ish, right? Yes. Um, culturally, like what changed like scenic wise, what changed visual artistically, like what impacted you the most being in Siberia from the Ukraine? It was very different from Ukraine. And the population that, I would not call it native population, but the population in that area was Cossacks mm -hmm. who were sent away by Stalin. Oh. So um, the people who lived there in that area were not native to that area. So my father was uh, in the military. It was a little uh, village, and uh, it was quite separate from the from the um, military garnison they call it, with the families of the officers and um, their kids, right? And the local population was not native to that area and it was quite wild and vicious we went to school with the kids of na natives <laughs> i would call them and they were really wild they came um from uh, the don river so they, they it actually very close to ukraine but they were sent there by stalin regime and lived there. So they were all displaced people, basically. They were all displaced were, people. And they didn't want to be there. They were sent there. I don't know. There are there, there were many generations since that time who grew mm -hmm. up there mm -hmm. already. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they were born there. The kids I went to school with were born already in that place. Mm -hmm. But their grandparents and parents were not native to mm -hmm. that territory. They were sent there. They were sent there. Mm -hmm. Well, there is a word which doesn't I'm, come to my mind. I'm thinking, the word I'm thinking is military brat. Like, so you traveled from the Ukraine to Exactly. <laughs> I, to within Serbia. 10 years of schooling, I changed, of schooling, I changed seven schools. I had to go from school to school to school because my father was sent different places. Wow. <laughs> Do you feel that, that, um, that process of starting fresh, getting like hitting the ground running just having to pick up and just basically acclimate yourself and adapt quickly and adjust do you feel that happens in your practice because i mean you're a ceramicist i feel like it's it's a very repetitive you're always starting fresh again like you're never oh i'm done and you're working on something for six months like i feel like ceramics and porcelain is so immediate and you just pick up do you do you relate those two at all or? well i feel like they, it prepared me f uh for future wanderings because um um, I left home when I was um, 17 for the university, went to St. Petersburg, and then after um, six years of university, um, I worked in St. Petersburg, and then I left, I married a Hungarian musician and left to Hungary, and then from Hungary I left to United States. So it kind of prepared me since my childhood to the life of changing places mm -hmm. and wanderings and not not growing roots basically anywhere but mm. kind of becoming the the, the vagabond yes <laughs> we can call it that mm. i mean you're just the tenant of the planet earth mm -hmm. so and this is what i would like i i wish i could live to the time when there will be no borders and countries and I hope, maybe not in this life, but the next one. Mm -hmm. I certainly hope so. Mm -hmm. So this kind of prepared me probably for mm -hmm. the wonders. One question that I had in mind from the very beginning, you started mechanical engineering in St. Petersburg? Yes, I did. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, I, I really adore, adored math in school, and I was pretty good at that. I had to be good. 
<laughs> I was brought up this way. Yeah. My parents demanded and expected us to be excellent, so I complied. Um, and I loved math and I loved physics, so from that perspective, I really uh, wanted to keep studying in that direction where math and physics could be applied. Uh, but I didn't. I did not want it to be purely theoretical. And I also had a math teacher in school who spoke about Marine Technical University in St. Petersburg. Uh, and he would have loved to study there. He adored this place. He wanted to build ships. And this was his dream, which never came true. And because I adored this teacher, I really wanted to kind of make an homage. And I applied for this school and I got in. Wow. So this is how it happened. <laughs> it was uh, more romantic to hear about it uh, than to study there. It was mostly male-dominated university. I can't imagine there were not a lot of women feel, studying with you. Yes, uh -huh. yes. There were very few girls, especially in the... In the um, area where I was studying, which was automation of uh, the engine of the ship. Wow. So uh -huh. this is what I did for six years. The study was interesting, mm -hmm. but um, I actually realized that I never wanted to actually make those machines. I realized that I I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. It's uh, tough and not very, um, very sophisticated life. And for years, because after uh, completing the studies, I worked for four years as, as an electrical engineer. I was under the rule of uh, two inventive males, and all they used me for is uh, mechanical drawings of their ideas. So it was not very um, creative yeah. place to be. And I also al always wanted to, um, I was very artistic, I, I used to draw, and um, I loved sewing, so I really started going uh, more and more away from the idea. I just didn't want to be an engineer, mm -hmm. especially the engineer and the arrangement I had mm -hmm. for those four years. So math was more or less something of an art form for me. Mm -hmm. But when it was over and turned into a routine mechanical engineer, routine mechanical drawing of all kinds of strange parts of turbines and uh, engines, it did not attract me anymore. So I just really wanted to quit. And there was no expression. It was very, like you said, mechanical, repetitive. And it was quite mechanical. Yeah. I, I remember I loved maths in school too. I loved it. I even did my 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 final exam. Like when you finish high school, you can choose your subjects. And I, mm -hmm. I you know I chose to do like the mathematics, not just written but also oral. Mm -hmm. I loved it. And there is a creativity in solving those problems it as well, right? Beautiful. I mean, it's so it was always fascinating it was, for me. It's so amazing. So. It's actually not that far away because, you know, so generally you think, yeah, either a kid is like artistic or it's like really, you know, good with mathematics or, you know, it's kind of like how you divvy up kids. But I, I always felt like it, that's kind of like, that's not true. How you say like a left brain or right brain or... It's not true. It's not true, right? It's There's so not. much creativity also in math. and. I was always fascinated by that too, but um, so it, 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 I think it's very interesting that you that you also found a partner uh, like your husband who is very much a, a creative person as a musician, musician right? The and then musician. he kind of took took you to Hungary, right? And then when did you start? No, actually, I I left uh, Soviet Union to go. Um, to reunite with my twin sister. I have a twin <gasps> sister. Oh, yeah. And she left for, hunger, for Hungary four years before me. And we never um, stayed apart from each other for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. We are very close to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just needed to be um, somewhere close. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I moved to Hungary and I met my husband already there. Oh, that's how it worked. That's <laughs> yes. amazing. I met my husband there mm -hmm. in Hungary. And how did it work that you moved to the United States and your twin sister is here too now? My twin sister moved to uh, United States first, uh, three years before us. Uh, she came to the University of Miami to do PhD in chemistry. She's a professor of chemistry at Perry University and um, she wanted to leave Hungary. She actually was married to Hungarian, as I said, mm -hmm. before me and her husband left. So she followed her husband, but her husband left as a tourist. Uh, um, he uh, so-called defected to United States from Hungary and she did not want to do that. She always wanted to be proper. It's our totalitarian, it's too, totalitarian yeah. regime upbringing, so she wanted to be proper. So she wanted to live um, legally. So she found this program at the University of Miami, which uh, um, accepted her as PhD um, graduate student in chemistry, and she left. So three years later, I thought I, I have to leave. I have to leave because I need to be by my sister again. And also at the time, which was 89, the uh, Eastern, Eastern socialist countries were collapsing one after the other. Mm -hmm. So the regime changed in Hungary. So communist regime collapsed. And at that time in Hungary, I was, um, I was working as a freelance interpreter and translator from Hungarian to Russian and backwards. So um, Hungarians were so jubilant to finally uh, get rid of Russians mm -hmm. that they did not want anything which was related to Russians in any possible way. Mm -hmm. So I did not have any work. Mm -hmm. It was just cut off. Mm -hmm. Exactly at the same time, my husband, who worked for Hungarian um, Academy um, as a scholar, uh, Liszt and Bartok scholar, mm -hmm. um, lost his job because they eliminated 19th century department from the um, uh, Music Institute in Hungarian Academy. Oh, so so all seven people were just thrown <laughs> on the street. So none of us had, neither him or myself had a job we can um, rely on. And we had a um, four month old child. Oh my God. So we just really had this idea that um, we will find the possibility to leave. And my sister visited a music department at the University of Miami and found out that my husband could be a PhD student at the musicology department. So this is how we came to Miami. Wow, what a story. Yeah. Incredible. With a baby, you moved from Hungary to, to Miami. To straight to Miami, we got stuck. <laughs> you, that was not the plan to stay in Miami. I don't know. I don't know. We we resented this climate. We we kind of resented the the not very cultural compared to Europe surroundings. So we just really heavily resented it for a good decade, I would say, until we. Um, just grew to love it. Mm -hmm. We uh, made tremendous amount of friends and uh, our horizons expanded to include this city. Mm -hmm. So I really, I really love it now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I enjoy being here. Mm -hmm. And it would be really painful for me to leave. To leave. Mm -hmm. To leave now. So you feel like your your uh, life as a vagabond is over? Like your roots are here now? No. No. no, I don't feel this way. You still have some moving still, in you, or yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I still feel this um, definite desire, and I I heard from so many places that Miami is is going to be a, a place for mermaids, mostly sooner or later. Water world, uh, yeah. yes, water world. So, and it seems more and more likely, it also with seems the hurricane, more and more that more likely we, yeah. to be this way. Yeah.
So w what city do you have in mind? Do you ever consider going back to Europe or would you stay in the United States? Um, it's not easy to go to Europe and mm -hmm. I would not like to return to Hungary. Mm -hmm. um, I actually have a dream of of going to to the west part of the United States and I would like to explore Hawaii. Wow. I've never been to Hawaii. I have. It's beautiful, but yes. it's an island. So things like volcanoes, I don't sleep well at night with. And then also like <laughs> tsunamis. And you're on an island. You can't drive off anywhere. Um, so so there, there's there's different things, I guess, too. But the same weather. So I could see that's why you would love it. Because it's tropical and hot and gorgeous with the ocean and it's palm trees. Beautiful. And it's, it's as exotic as Miami. And I, I think, <laughs> you know, like your, your bond with the nature and the vegetation there must be like amazing. Exactly. Right? And uh, all the worlds are there. There, there is beautiful ocean. Um, it's mountainous in many parts, and right? And a lot of mountains. And the volcanoes, which once again mostly yeah, volcanoes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So you just get get the messages from underworld as well. So mm -hmm. I really, I am really fascinated by the whole beauty of this place. It, it calls, it calls mm -hmm. me. I should go check it out for a bit. Yes, sure. yes, I have friends who live there part of the time, mm -hmm. uh, part of the year, for probably half of the year, and they said that they would like to invite us there. Oh, so you haven't visited yet? I have not, no. I have not. Mm -hmm. I already made um, a couple of pieces dedicated to the beauty of Hawaii. Wow. So, Hawaiian bowl. Mm -hmm. Yes, but I've never been there, mm -hmm. and I must. Mm -hmm. Let's discuss that. Cool. You, you just mentioned, I'm curious as to your process. You, you're, Are you intuitive in that you commence a project not knowing what you're going to do, or do you normally start with an idea of the piece, an inspiration of a place, a feeling, and then you execute it? Can you talk to us a little bit about your process in making? Um, it is um, it is very closely related to my uh, life experience um, as as a wanderer. Uh, the most important form for me at the moment is a bowl, but uh, being a server being open, having uh, a space to fill in. Um, I really enjoy this form, but I used to make those forms uh, with the very firm footing. So they were kind of glued to the space. So if you look at my work now, you will see that none of the bowls I make now um, have a stable footing. Uh, the bottoms are completely round and they rock, mm -hmm. they move, and also um, a lot of them have, um, have cuts in them and folds. So they stopped being purely functional. They stopped being servants. They started being um, somewhat um, manifestations of my life experience and the ideas which which are very important for me at at this stage. So um, they all they all um, rock. They all move. They do not have a stable footing, and uh, they have very very inconspicuous um, color palette. It's white and gray and a little pink and very pale blues. So all the colors which I do see in nature and very much enjoy. There are no artificial bright colors. I, I try to have as inspiration for the colors of my work as rocks and shells and water and soil and plants. So they are very much related to nature and your to nature. Yeah, I think I recall when I first saw them that they have a very um, soft, muted, but quite um, 
The phrase I'm looking for is when you look at them, they look fragile, but you, you're they, like, there's like, I don't know, it's like the fragility of nature almost. They look quite tender, like you want to touch it, but you're scared too. So I, could you talk a little bit about that, that balance between like the cuts and the roughness and the fact that they are in fact a bull and they're supposed to be something that's handled with care? They are very vulnerable, but porcelain is um, extremely high fired, so it's the highest fired out of all clays, and uh, it's extremely refractory. And it came, um, it's it's coming from um, from uh, the gas kiln, and it is a very very drastic firing, which goes almost to 2400 Fahrenheit. There is tremendous pressure in the kiln. Uh, porcelain softens in in the fire, and even deforms and occasionally slumps. So when it comes out. Out from that incredible experience it is um, it is like a song it has a beautiful sound I this is the the first thing I usually do to the bowls which are coming from the kiln I I um, knock them a little bit I don't know how it is called when you you flick it yeah flick. I flick it and uh, they sound like bells <gasps> they, nice. Yes, and the only ones which do not sound like beautiful bells are the ones which suffer some crack. Mm -hmm. If there is a little crack, they, they feel a little bit deaf. But if they came out from that insanity of the pressure and uh, fire leaking them from all the sides and uh, um, if they survive that, they come out absolutely beautifully sounding and looking. Mm -hmm. um, so that's... It's that. like almost, almost a mystical or the, the, the transformation. You know, when you when you talk about it, it's either like uh, this, the firing is either that you're going through hell. You know, when they you're going go from a, like journey. a cat, like uh, I'm brought up a Catholic. That's <laughs> kind of like how you know that the flames are licking at you and stuff. That's hell. You know, and the other thing that I think about is when Hansel and Gretel put the the the, the old the witch in, oh, the, in, the, in, the, in the, the oven, oven. Yes. and fired her you know it's kind of like and then you you talk, you're talking about as a psychologist you're talking about the transformation of the fire mm -hmm. and i have to share also an experience that i had like running from the hurricane i drove to the, through the through the mikosuki reservation um, this recent one? The recent one, yeah, to, to get some gas there and get up north somehow, mm -hmm. avoiding traffic. And there was this old uh, Mikosuki uh, uh, Native American who, or Indian, or, you know, Mikosuki guy. And he, um, he said, yeah, you don't have to be scared. You don't have to be scared. A hurricane is just nature's way of cleaning itself. You know, that. it's like a rep repetitive, it's a cycle. Mm -hmm. And and we go through that, you know, every now and so often nature has to clean itself. But it's like also this, this sheer force of the wind, you know, this transformation, but also the fire in the kiln, like this huge, you know, transformation that happens in that moment that is really like also, for me, it's also spiritual. Like that's Absolutely. probably, I don't know how you felt the hurricane, uh, but... Also, the hurricane, I, I feel like, can be like a real spiritual experience as well. You know, if you're, if you're safe in a way. I don't know. Maybe if you're not safe, I don't know. Do you it know what, I, what us, I'm saying? Yes, what I'm talking? it brings us closer to each other. It brings us closer to nature. Yeah. We start kind of physically feeling um, together. Yeah. So, being more it's aware very, of our surroundings. Yes, yeah. being aware of our surroundings, being immersed into them, just understand that all those structures and all this safety which we um, kind of build around ourselves, that it is, it is actually an illusion. Yeah. 
and um, yeah this is extremely important to get those moments when when those structures are falling apart and you are staying basically naked together so we kind of tend to separate ourselves from nature and those events are bringing us back and telling us that we are together in that that we are part of it which we forget mm -hmm. with all the safety net we are building constantly around ourselves mm -hmm. and this place of vulnerability is extremely important mm -hmm. you have to go through it yeah and i feel that the material you use is such a vulnerable material because you, you said it like the slightest incorrect whether it's an air pocket or a crack that occurs then it's no longer that pure beautiful structure that you once imagined and hoped it would be with that beautiful ping once you flick it and creating that beautiful sound so it itself is as super vulnerable as well the clay and the and the porcelain but i also like when when they suffer they suffer really? those cracks and they suffer transformation because it brings them to the point of of going through the suffering and through the transformation. I actually, a lot of the times, count on that happening. So I build the idea into the transformation which might occur. And sometimes it is, um, it is coming more or less predictable way and sometimes it comes completely unpredictable. So I feel like they have gone through the incredible suffering and immerse from it already knowing somehow more because we all identify with the work with the work we create uh, i mean it's us mm -hmm. yeah. and this 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 experiences the work has add to to the way um um they look don't know how to tell it better. <laughs> yeah, and I, th I I feel like what what you also described your 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 new series that you already built the folds into them or the you know they are not this perfectly shaped. You, you a couple of your works are also these perfectly shaped pristine. round pristine globes or or um, uh, how do you say that? I call them orbs. Or, occasionally. Yeah. Orbs, yes. vessels. But, yes. but sometimes you you started to already break that perfection, you know, with the folds oh, and yes. with the, and mm -hmm. you go already with, before the firing, right? You go Absolutely. into them and, and kind of break them, you know? I do break before them. Before the fire can. I slice them. Mm -hmm. I open them up. Mm -hmm. I leave, I leave windows. Mm -hmm. I, I, put some tenants inside the bowls. They are not, some of them are not empty anymore. Mm -hmm. Or there are bowls within the bowls, um, which kind of describes the relationship between people mm -hmm. as well. So I call them um, entwine or embracing. So it's, it's relational pieces. Mm -hmm. um, but then I count on um, the action from the kiln and the powers as well to co-create, to add something. Because mm -hmm. I know the vulnerable spots and sometimes I know what's going to happen. Sometimes they just completely open up, mm -hmm. um, not bearing the pressure mm -hmm. of the flames or fire in the kiln. And they just open up and just... Uh, collapse and this collapse is so exciting sometimes and so incredible mm -hmm. and after initial rejection I I come to embrace it because because I see something very new in that collaboration which happens uh, after the firing mm -hmm. it's extremely exciting mm -hmm. and that's why I very much attach to this way of firing mm -hmm. I do not finish my work in electric kiln because electric kiln is very still. Electric kiln um, um, is designed uh, to have a complete control over the process. Mm -hmm. But with the firing where you burn real fuel, uh, n nothing is actually set in stone. It is a real transformation mm -hmm. which is going there. So as opposed to only heat emitted from the elements, 
there are forces which playing role in the gas or wood or oil firing kilns. And a lot of them are quite unpredictable and could be controlled to a degree, but not completely. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoy that process you, you enjoy that? Mm -hmm. of releasing mm -hmm. partially control and having the kiln as your co-creator. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Well, it goes back to when you mentioned your experience in St. Petersburg. You were learning how to do these. You were Well, you were doing mechanical drawings as, as a living, and it was repetitive, and you had no collaborative efforts. It wasn't creative at all. The expectation or the, out, the, out, the output and the result was always the same. It was always calculated versus when you're collaborating with the kiln, it's <laughs> unexpected. You're not sure what might happen. It's exciting. It's creative. It's exploratory. So there, it's always something different. It's never the same. Never. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, one last question. Okay, um, for me, before we ask you about the things you're doing, you mentioned your journey from, you said you, you used to draw. Mm -hmm. You also said you sewed a little bit. And then you went into, obviously, St. Petersburg. You learned how to do mechanical drawings and all this stuff. And then you ended up in clay and porcelain. Where did that... <laughs> how did it happen? How did that happen? Um, when I moved to Hungary, I had to learn the language. And um, to learn the language, I started selling um, art books. And um, then a very interesting opportunity came up. I was um, uh, invited to work uh, at the National Puppet Theater in Budapest. And um, I worked in a sculptural, so-called sculptural workshop um, where they were sculpting um, puppet heads. It's uh, marionette puppet, um, marionette puppets, which the theater worked with, which had um, heads, very sophisticated wood mechanics, which was done in a separate workshop. And there was a sewing workshop where they were sewing clothing. So originally I, I thought I would be working in the sewing clothing for puppets. But then I, I got into the shop where they were making puppets, actually the heads. So it's a very, very, very long process. It's paper mache, but it starts uh, with the clay heads. So you make heads for the puppets out of clay, and then you divide it in the middle, make a mold of two halves, and then you proceed with paper mache in two halves. Then you join them. Then you cover it with. It's it's extremely, extremely long process. So this is where I touch clay first. And making puppets was extremely exciting and beautiful process, and I really enjoyed it. The only thing which I did not like, I had to adhere to the idea of the creator of the mm -hmm. puppet so strictly that I was constantly deviating and <laughs> I was reprimanded for not um, following the rules. Uh. We're not following the exact lines for giving the face when I painted it of the puppet a slightly different expression and so on and so forth. <laughs> so I really wanted to create things myself. Mm -hmm. But it was the most wonderful job I ever uh, held. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely beautiful. So I just had to leave this job because I gave birth to the child. Mm -hmm. But um, when I came to Florida to answer your question, mm -hmm. so to not no, to I be love a journey. I love it. It's great. So when I came to Florida, I wanted to make puppets, and I started looking for this possibility to continue on making marionette puppets, but I could not find it anywhere. And someone suggested clay because it was so, so uh, popular in Florida. It was in every school, in every university. Uh, it was just ubiquitous. It was everywhere. So I, I decided to try. And the moment I, I came to work to the wheel, I knew it's, it's, it's me. It's meant to be. <laughs> yeah, it's meant to be mm -hmm. this way. So that's. That's oh, the collection. Exactly. Well, I guess at this moment in time, if you have any upcoming projects you'd like to share with us, maybe any trips you're going to be doing or anything you'd like to say you coming up in the future that you'd love to share with us and the listeners. I would like to have um, a possibility for a solo show where all the 
ideas I'm just just turning in my mind now would have um, a place mm -hmm. to work out mm -hmm. and this is what I am working on now mm -hmm. I am trying to establish a very good connection to a gallery I am in my mind and I have uh, and I have um, some indication that they might be open to the possibilities so this is what I am um, entertaining in my mind and running ideas. That's exciting. And if you want to visit Garpy, yeah, put it onto Universe Studio Twenty Three. She's Root here at for the big house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she has some beautiful pieces that are always available. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming, girl. All right, so oh, because you made it through the fire of this rocking chair, you actually get... I didn't even rock. <laughs> well, I You forgot. get three wishes from the rocking chair. You can wish for anything, and the rocking chair is going to make it happen for you. Oh, my. <laughs> so what are your three wishes? Wow, this is an amazing question. <laughs> um... I really, I really would like to be able to, or maybe I am, it doesn't have to be a wish, I would like to remember my dreams. Mm -hmm. I just would like to remember them and I would like to be able to understand where they come from. So probably it's, 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 it's the desire to not limit yourself to the three dimensions of the world we we exist in. Mm -hmm. So I would like to have a, a possibility to come and go in the world, which we visit every night, basically, mm -hmm. but no, not too much about it. Mm -hmm. I really would like to have this possibility. Those are three pretty good wishes. Remembering your dreams, understanding what they mean and where they come from, and then being able to navigate back and forth. I thought that yeah. was one wish. I thought was those were three. I, thought, I understood those oh as three. God. No, actually, I would like to fly as well. Oh, <laughs> See, I, I like Lauren. I, <laughs> I really like Lauren. I, I, do, I do flying a lot, or I used to do flying a lot in my dreams, actually, as a kid. I was flying a lot. I don't. Mm -hmm. I can Or I don't I remember that. flying. <laughs> I don't remember flying. So I really... We hope you can. ...do want to have this possibility to fly. That to sounds fly. wonderful. So actually, the first can be considered two. Yes. Because I not only would like to have to be able to remember those dreams, but I would like to be able to go back and forth. I would like to have an entrance to that world. Mm -hmm. So. There you go. Right. Those are some good wishes. Wonderful. Yay, thank you so much for coming. Are they coming true? Yes, they're coming true now because the magical rocking chair makes it makes I it really happen. enjoy your chair. Right? The time went by so fast. Yeah, it always does. All right, thank you so much, Gerby. It was a pleasure. Thank us. you, Elisa. Thank, thank you, Maria to, Teresa. Thank you to all our listeners. I know, post Irma, hopefully you get your power back. I know there's still a lot of people in Miami and South Florida, and Florida overall. And actually, yeah. you know what? In the Caribbean that don't have electricity right now. Yeah. So we hope, hope you all everybody. were safe, and you. We hope you all keep safe for the possible next hurricane. Yeah, Maria and, and um, the system, Lee. We'll see. Maria, yeah. All righty, guys. Uh, thank you, and um, we'll see you next week. See I you hope. next week. Thanks, Gerby. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye.